We are continuing our lesson from the book of Colossians. We looked at last time, Colossians chapter 1, which actually we'll be looking at even more this morning as this lesson uh, focuses on Colossians chapter 1 quite a bit as it does really from chapters 2 and chapter 3. As we look at this idea of finding fulfillment in Christ. As we read just a moment ago there in Colossians chapter 2, I'm going to back up here for just a moment. If you look at Colossians chapter 2, noticing the words that the Doyle just mentioned here, he says here, beginning in verse 8 of Colossians 2, Paul says here, Beware lest anyone teach you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. It's interesting that as we begin this section here that Paul, as he writes to those in Colossae there, was warning them about allowing someone to cheat you, as he says there, in verse 8, he says, Let someone cheat you through, your, through philosophy. Then he says, Empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world. You know, if you list, there are several things and several ways in which we can be cheated, or the Christian can be cheated, of the reward, the reward being heaven. He says, First, through philosophy. Then he says, Empty deceit. And then he says to the, through the tradition of men, and he says according to the basic principles of the world. And all four of those things, he says there in verse 8, are not according to Christ. Which tells us that we need to be on guard against things that are going to teach us, or against things that are going to pull us, pull us actually away from God, as you can see it there in verse 8. He says not according to Christ. He says here, speaking of Christ, he says in verse 9, he says, For in him dwells all the fullness of God, of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. Notice that phrase there in verse 10, and you are complete in Him, which means we have all we need in Christ. Therefore we don't need, as he mentions back in verse 8, the philosophy, empty deceit, the traditions of men, or the basic principles of the world, which is basic principles of the world to me, at least in my mind, is just do whatever you want, Live how you want, treat people however you want, and that's, that's the principles of the world. But he says those things are not according to Christ. Looking at verse 10, he says, And you are complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. In Him you were all circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. This is a reference we'll see in verse 12, to baptism. Now, putting off the body that sins of the flesh, but a circumcision of Christ. He's talking about putting off sins, and obeying the gospel. He says, putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. The Apostle Paul also talks about the, the old man in his, in his evil ways, in, in his old ways of doing things, sinful ways. That's the same idea we find here in verse 11. But putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. He says here in verse 12, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So we are buried with him in, in baptism, he says in verse 12, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So we put off all those sinful things. Those things are buried, they are left in that grave. We find there in verse 12. He says we are raised with him through faith in the working of God. We are raised what? We are raised to be those who are followers of God following baptism. But we find there in verses 8 through 12 that all those things that make us complete, as he says back there in verse 10, he says, are complete in Him. We are complete in Christ. And we're going to illustrate that point this morning 
as we begin looking at our very first point being the fullness of Christ, or the fullness rather in Christ. Our title of this lesson is Fulfillment in Christ. Our first point is going to be the fullness in Christ, beginning first by looking at this idea of being complete. The word complete literally means to lack nothing. We go back to Colossians chapter 2, looking there again at verse 10. What does it say? And you are complete in Him. So in Him, in Christ, we're not lacking anything. You ever order something online and have it come in and everything is not there? That's one to me one of the most annoying things there is. And you may think that's small, and yes it is, but it is highly annoying, isn't it? It's disappointing because you're expecting something to come complete with all its parts, with all its screw and bolts and all those types of things, and it's not there. Or maybe if you've ever done a puzzle and you get down to the very end and realize the last piece isn't in the box. I don't do puzzles very often. I know this happened to Lisa before. Those, those things are very annoying. They don't happen often. They do happen, right? But in Christ, we find here, going back to verse 10, that's not the case, right? He says, in Him you are complete. Colossians 2 there in verse 10. And so complete, again, means lacking nothing. So in Christ, we're not lacking anything. In Christ, as we find also in Colossians chapter 1, as I said before, we'll be looking a lot at Colossians 1, really all the all, uh, three chapters here of Colossians, Colossians 1, 2, and 3, where we'll be spending most of our time. But He is the image, that is Christ, the image of the invisible God. We talk about sometimes when Christ came to earth, He was God in the flesh. That's true. He, he, God gave, he gave him power on earth to do what needed to be done, right? The teaching, the preaching, and also the various miracles which Christ performed, the, the various things he did, all, all because God willed, it, willed him to be able to have those abilities on the earth. We find in Colossians chapter 1, looking at verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He is the image of, of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. It does not mean that he was a part of creation, Christ was not created. In fact, we find in John chapter 1, he had a part in creation. As we look there in John 1, verse 1 and following, the Bible tells us, actually this is the very next point, that through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that was made, John chapter 1, which tells us Christ had a part in creation. He was not a created being. But looking here at Colossians 1, verse 15, the firstborn over all creation, which means he's over all creation. He is the image of the invisible God. Christ is also the express image of God's person, as we find here in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. God, who at various times and various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in his last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he, whom he appointed heir over all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of, of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, set down the right hand of the majesty on high. Again, showing us we have all we need in Christ, right? We have the image of the invisible God there in Christ. We can see God, in effect, when we look upon Christ, as those there during the time of Christ on the earth saw Christ face to face, and we too one day will as well. We find there in verse 3, he says, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, it's a reference there to God, and upholding all things with the power, or by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, and that's a reference to him dying on the cross, 
set down in the right hand of the majesty on high, which tells us that Christ came to the earth, as you saw there in verse 2, as in his last day spoken to us by his Son, right? Whom he appointed heir over all things, which means Christ is over all things. Through whom he also made the world. John chapter 1 tells us Christ helped create all things, right? Verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, he's literally God in the flesh. And upholding all things with the word of his power, when he had, when he had, purged, when he, when he had by himself purged our sins, died on the cross, set down the right hand, right hand of the majesty on high, the reference to Christ after his death, when his death, his burial, his resurrection, right? And then what? His ascension to be a Christ, or be with God, rather, on the right hand. We find there in Acts chapter 1, Christ ascending up to be with God. The Bible tells us the, the disciples literally looked up as Christ ascended into heaven. And that's a reference to that there at the end of verse 3. Again, all these things we're going to look at this morning is showing how Christ provides fulfillment and all we need in Him. He is the image of God. We also know He took part in creation. John chapter 1, looking at verse 3, the Bible says, All things were made through Him. Without Him nothing was made that was made. If it exists, it's because Christ had a part in creation. The Bible tells us Christ had, had that part. We also find, as we saw a moment ago, that by Christ, Almighty God made the world. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, through whom also He made the worlds. We think about our world today. We know, we know Earth. We understand that. We also think about our galaxy. We think about space and all those things. We're, we keep discovering. All we're doing is discovering more and more of God's creation. We're finding how much God truly created in those six days back in Genesis. Through him who made all, he, he made me, he made the worlds, they're plural. We also know that God also, the worlds can be referenced to the heavens as we talk about the sky, the, uni, and the universe, and all those things we find around us still today. He is the sustainer, as we find in Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. The word sustainer literally means that, or the word consists, we find here in verse 17, literally means uh, he held together. Held together. He, and He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. In Him all things are held together. We think about the world around us today. We do a very good job of messing things up. We're talking about environmental things or such as that. I don't get into all that. But we know we do a very good job of hindering things and messing up the cycle and the, the, the creation that God has made for us. But we find here in verse 17, those things are going to continue on. They're going to continue to, to exist and to be a part of the world because, they, as we find here in verse 17, it's not through us, but it's through Him. And in Him all things consist or held together. He, he upholds all things by His powerful Word. We also find there in Hebrews 1 and verse 3, the Bible tells us there, uh, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, upholding all things by the Word of His power. When does the world finally come to an end? The Bible tells us when Christ descends for the judgment day. Peter tells us it's on that day that the, that the earth will be destroyed and all the elements therein, but not until that day. doesn't mean we should go out and try to just have no concern about our planet, but we also realize it's going to endure until Christ returns. We also realize that Christ, as we find here, is the head of the church. He is the head of the church. We look at Acts chapter 2. We find the church identifies those saved by the Lord. Looking at Acts 2, verse 47, the Bible says, Praising God and having favor with all the people. 
And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Who was the one who did the adding? We find in verse 47, it was the Lord. Who were, who were the ones who were being saved? Those who were obeying the gospel. We find there in Acts 2, beginning about verse 5, when Peter begins his sermon. After his sermon there in verse 37, he literally turned to Peter and asked him, Men and brethren, what shall we do? In verse 38, Peter tells them to repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And they continue reading. We build up to this point here where we find that 3,000 souls are added to, the body, added to the body of Christ, which is the church that day. In verse 47, we find who it was who did the adding. The Bible says, And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Those being saved were those who obeyed the gospel. The Lord added them. That if the Lord adds them, does that mean we are dependent upon someone else saying, Yes, you can be a part of this congregation? No. The Lord is the one who adds us, not mankind. We are added to the church by the Lord when we obey the gospel. Therefore, we're not dependent upon mankind and say that, okay, now you can join us. These people are in subjection to Christ. As we look at Colossians chapter 1, looking at verse 18, the Bible says, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Again, he is the head of the body, which is the church which tells us that where do we go? We want to know what we ought to be doing when it comes to the church. We go to the Bible. We don't have to go to someone else. We don't have to go to a priest or any other person. We can go to the Bible, and we can find what God wants us to do because the head of the body is the church, or the head of the church, rather, is Christ. It's not some earth, earth-made organization. It's not some single individual. It is the Lord. And so we go to our Bibles for all that we do and all that we, all that we need to be doing. What are the needs that are supplied by Christ? That's our next point. Well, first we have seen the, the fullness in Christ. He makes us complete. He is the image of the invisible God. He took part in creation. He is the sustainer, and he is the head of the church. What are the needs that he supplies for us today? Well, some of those things we already really discussed, haven't we? Him, him being the sustainer, him being uh, the one who is the image of the invisible God, him being the head of the church, those are things we need as well. But what are some other things he gives us? He gives us wisdom. He gives us wisdom. Wisdom for discriminating choices before God. He gives us wisdom to, to make the right choices. The Bible tells us that when we read the Word of God and we study it, we'll be able to discern between good and evil, which means we read the Bible, we find out what God wants us to do, and then we can say, okay, well, the Bible says this is okay. The Bible condemns this, so therefore we'll be able to discern between good and evil. We also look at Colossians chapter 2, looking at verse 3. The Bible says, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In whom, the reference to Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That means that we should view wisdom as a treasure, shouldn't we? And you've heard me talk about many times before how if we will read our Bibles, we, t- we pick a time during the day for however long we want to do it, we read those things. We move, maybe we write down what we have learned. We write down maybe some questions that we have. And what do we do? Each and every day we find as we move on, we'll be able to look back and say, look at all the things I've learned just over the last week. Just over that short period of time. And we read through those things. We make that a habit. So we do that every day to the very best of our ability to read and to study those things so we can grow more knowledgeable in the Word of God. And we can, we'll begin to see how wisdom really is a treasure, as we find there in verse 3. 
And we also know that in Christ we have a knowledge of His, that is Christ's will. Look in Colossians chapter 1, looking at verse 9, he says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will, and all wisdom, and spiritual understanding. How can we know the will of God today? And that's all a lot of people want to ask sometimes. Well, how do we know what God wants from us? We go back and we look throughout the Bible, we find that what God wants from us is for us to follow His commands and to abstain from evil and abstain from sin and to follow Him. You go back and you look at the book of Ecclesiastes. The Bible tells us, there, as the Solomon is referred to as the preacher many times, he talks about all the things he had done in life. If you turn, turn there for just a moment to the book of Ecclesiastes, I know many of us have, have read this before, are familiar with this, but if you go back to the book of Ecclesiastes, you look at the, very, the last few verses of, verses of Ecclesiastes, you'll find that after this preacher, so-called, had done all these things, and, and done all these, uh, whatever he wanted to do in life, that he tells us, he says, what was, is the conclusion of the whole matter? If you look there at Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Looking at verse 13, he says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter, which is like us saying, What is the meaning of life today, right? Now, this won't be on the screen. you look this one up. But Ecclesiastes 12, looking at verse 13, he says, what, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. And then notice verse 14. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. So what do we need to do in this life today? We'll think about those simple words. And those are just two verses, right? But when we put those things in action, it means we obey God's Word, we obey the Gospel, we obey God, and when we make mistakes, because we're human beings, we're going to do that, we repent, and we strive to live a Christian life for the world, and a lot of it's going to bring honor and glory to God. And we look here in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, that's exactly what he's talking about. He says, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Now, if you back up for just a moment, if you back up at the very beginning of the book of Ecclesiastes, we find there that he had all things he wanted in life. We find in chapter 2 that he talks about how he had all types of vineyards and all types of orchards and all these physical things. He talks about how he looked upon his hands and all the labors he had done there in verse 11. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 11. He says, and I looked and all the work that my hands had done and the labor which I had toiled, he says, Indeed, it was all vanity and grasping for the wind, for there was no profit under the sun. He's saying, All those things I've worked and labored for, he says, they didn't bring him true and lasting happiness. And so after he has done all those things and talks more about those types of things, he ends the book by saying, Fear God and keep his commandments. Please ask these 12, verses 13 and 14. And we find here in Colossians 1, verse 9, that same idea that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. His will is that we obey God, obey Christ's Word, and that we continue to do so. The idea of obedience and faithfulness is a continual action. We continue to obey. We continue to be faithful. And we make mistakes. We repent of those things before God. Look in Colossians chapter 3, looking at verse 16. He says, that the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. How, not also verse 16, the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. The word of Christ dwell in us. Well, it's not physically going to get into our hearts and dwell there, 
but we can read the Word of God and study upon it enough that it becomes just a part of who we are. It's a part of who we are and what we do. In that way, it dwells within us. So that's, how, that's one way in which Christ gives us wisdom. We also notice in Colossians chapter 1, looking at verse 19, this knowledge produces wisdom and spiritual understanding. He says, For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell. Colossians 1, verse 19. Now, we think about all the things that God has given us. He says, If it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell. Colossians 1, verse 19. Now, uh, we think about the wisdom that God has given us through Christ. He has given us the wisdom to know what is right and what is wrong through the written word that Christ has left for us that, that the apostles had written down, Colossians, uh, as we find here throughout the book of Colossians. If we continue reading verse 19 and following, I don't think I had that complete verse on there, but look at verse 20, And by him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. We think about what that means for us. Does that, those verses impart wisdom, Colossians 1, 19 and 20? It's wisdom about how to have, about what Christ has done for us, hasn't it? It imparts the wisdom of what Christ has done for us, knowing that we need to put our obedient faith in him so that we too can take a, take a part and, take, and be able to take advantage of what Christ has done for us, having made peace through the blood of, blood of his cross there in Colossians 1, 19 and 20. We think about redemption as being another thing which Christ supplies. Redemption from the, from the controlling nature of sin. As you look at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 14. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. In him we have redemption. Redemption means we are redeemed. Through who? He says through his blood, as through Christ's blood. But he says the forgiveness of sins, which we'll talk about here more in just a moment. The word redemption has its roots in the Old Testament. It's based on a word which spoke of the, uh, the freedom of the Israelites from Egyptian bondage. That same idea. They were redeemed from Egypt. We are redeemed from sin by the blood of Christ. Redemption is with blood, as we find in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by, by the tradition of your from the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as, a, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Notice there in verse 19, he says basically what you were not bought back with gold or silver or with money. He says you were bought back or redeemed with what. He says there in verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ. Uh, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Christ was without blemish and without spot. He had done no wrong. Yet he paid the price for us. He redeemed us, not with money, but with his own life. We also find that redemption, we're reminded that redemption again is in, is in Christ in Colossians 1 and verse 14. We have redemption through his blood, only through Christ. This brings us to our next point, which is the forgiveness of sins. In the very same verse, Colossians 1, verse 14, the forgiveness of sins. That is to be released from the debt owed to God, the debt of God's righteous judgment. We know the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is, is, is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord, right? Look with me, if you will, at Acts chapter 8, verse 39. He says, Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so the eunuch saw him no more, and he went away rejoicing. This is actually in the wrong section. But if you look at verse 39 and previous to that, what was he doing? 
He heard the word of God. He obeyed. He was what? He was baptized and he realized he received the forgiveness of sins. Acts chapter 8, about verse 30 through verse 39. It's Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, right? What did the Ethiopian eunuch receive? The forgiveness of sins. That's why he went on his way rejoicing. Because his sins had been forgiven. Look with me next, if you will, at the idea of peace that comes from Christ. Peace that will guard our hearts. Colossians 3 and verse 15 tells us, And then the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. Peace that comes from God. You think about this for a moment. You've had a real bad problem come up in your life, and through the process of time, through whatever it was, means you found to, to solve it. How do you feel when that problem was resolved? You felt some degree of peace, right? Well, here we find the problem in verse 15 is sin, and the peace that is, is found here is the result of forgiveness, isn't it? And the, and the peace of, of God rule in your hearts. God is the one who can provide us with true and lasting peace. The peace that comes from having our sins forgiven and have been redeemed, and that peace will, will endure within us throughout any difficulty in life. It doesn't mean we're going to be happy every single day. We'll always know that at least I am forgiven by God for my sins. At least I have, oh, I have heaven as my home. This may be a tough time, maybe a difficult time for various reasons, but at least I know heaven is waiting for us, and that can be peace. It should be peace for us. Real peace is not is also not dependent upon what is happening to you. If you go back and look at the book of Acts, chapter 16, Paul will talk about how he was beaten numerous times, right? And how he was cast into prison. In Acts chapter 16, remember how where they found Paul? The Bible says he was found singing. The, the jailer could hear him singing, and others could hear him singing. Actually, the Bible says they were listening to him, Paul and Silas singing. They were imprisoned. Did they sound like they were too worried about things? If you're singing. Now today, if someone was in, in prison singing, we'd probably say, that person's out of their mind. But these Christian men had nothing to fear. They knew that the worst thing that happened to them if they were to be killed, that they would go on one day to eternal reward. They'd go to paradise and then one day to the heavenly home, right? And so for that reason... They were singing in prison. These guys can't do anything. They could take their life. They understood that. I'm sure Paul understood that more than anybody. Aside from Christ, I think Paul probably got more beatings than anyone else. But it didn't stop him. In fact, we know that most of the New Testament that was written by the Apostle Paul, that he wrote from prison himself. It didn't stop him, did it? We also know, as we look at Philippians chapter 4, and verse 6 and 7, Notice these words from Paul as he writes to those in Philippi, and he writes to them about peace, and as he's doing so, he's actually in prison. Looking at verse 6 and 7, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He writes about peace, he writes about the importance of prayer, and he does so from prison. We can learn from that example. We can look, we can be determined to have peace in our life if we will remember who is the one who's going to guard and rule over us and rule over that peace, and that is Christ, as we find there again in Colossians 3 and verse 15. We also reminded here 
Sometimes I call this self-esteem. Sometimes I call it just a reminder that every person is important. Colossians 3, verse 11. Whether, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, part of the Old Testament law, barbarian, scathian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. That means Christ wants all mankind to be saved. It doesn't matter who they are, where they're from. We definitely need to care about their skin color. He wanted them all to be saved. And the Bible tells us that Christ in the world to seek and save the lost. He didn't, he didn't specify conditions upon that about who it, was going to, who it was going to be. It was the lost. And that's all it was. Meaningful relationships are given to us by Christ. We're looking at Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. He says, therefore, whatever you want men to do, do also, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. We want to have meaningful and lasting and good relationships. We treat one another the right way, don't we? We sometimes refer to this as a golden rule, but it's very simple, isn't it? If we want to have kindness put upon us, given to us, shown to us, we have to show kindness to others as well. We also find, if you look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 13 to 14, Notice what he says here as he talks about relationships. He says, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has to complain against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all things, put on love, which is a bond of perfection. He talks about love and forgiveness when it comes to relationships, whether we're talking about brethren or any other relationship as well. And our last one for this point is, is that we need hope, and Christ supplies that hope. Looking at Romans chapter 8, verse 24, For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what, is, what he sees? What he's talking about here in verse 24 is putting our hope in physical things of the earth that we see with our eyes. We cannot see heaven yet, but we hope for We hope, Therefore, we hope for what we do not see with our physical eyes, but we know it's there, right? We know, just like we know God is there, we know Christ is there, we know all the faithful one day will be there. For we, we were saved in this hope, but hope that is not seen, but hope, hope that, is, that is seen, rather, is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? We cannot put our hope in physical things of this earth that's going to deteriorate and, and rot away. We put our hope in the heaven that waits for those who are faithful to God. Those in Christ have hope, as we find in Colossians 1, verse 5, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. So we're reminded in God's word that what is waiting for us, heaven, and that's where we put our hope in. Waiting, our hope is in the heavenly home. We know that place is waiting for the faithful. We also know that there are certain things we must do to have hope. To have hope, one must be in Christ, as we find in Galatians 3, verse 27. For me, as you were baptized into Christ, to put on Christ. To have hope, Christ must be, must be in us or in, in one. To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. How is Christ, how is Christ or when is Christ in us when we obey the gospel? We put on Christ in baptism. He is what in us. He dwells within us. We talk about sometimes the Holy Spirit dwelling within us through the written word. But what? Christ dwells in us when we obey the gospel. We saw that back in Galatians 3, verse 27. And we found the same idea here in Colossians 1, verse 27. Christ is in us. And then we must be faithful to Christ. Therefore, our faith is not a one-time action. To the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
to the saints and the faithful brethren. Faithful is an indication of those who are, who are actively being faithful to God. It's a continual action. They obeyed and they're remaining faithful to God. That continual action. Some lessons for us today. True uh, fullness True fullness rests in Christ. The world provides temporaries and partials when it comes to fullness. Temporaries and partials. Those means they don't last forever and they're not complete. Christ, though, provides things that are eternal and that make us complete. Christ provides the eternal and those things which make us complete. To enjoy the fullness of Christ, we must be in Christ. But how does that happen? That happens as we find in Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. He says, Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized in his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism to death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in this of life. What's he talking about? Obeying the gospel and becoming a new creature. Sometimes you use that phrase, a born-again Christian. People use that a lot, but biblically speaking, it is accurate. If we are a person who is born again by being baptized and remaining faithful to God, we become that new creature. We become that new creature. We know that term is always is, is used a lot, but not always correctly. Galatians 3, verse 26 and 27 tells us, If you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, it means by our obedient faith we become sons of God, but not what, what else does that faith cause us to do? It moves us to be baptized, right? For as, many of you, for as many of you are baptized into Christ to put on Christ. And so until we are baptized into Christ, we have not put on Christ. Therefore, we, have, we put our obedient faith in God. We obey His Word. We are baptized. We put on Christ in baptism. We become that new creature in Christ. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. We want to be those who do what is necessary to enjoy the fullness that is found in Christ. There, those things that Christ provides are too good for us to miss. People are often looking to find fulfillment in life, and Christ is the answer. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 6 tells us, Yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom, the Father, of whom are all things, and, for, and we for Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we are all things, and through whom we live. He's basically saying there in verse 6 that God and Christ are everything. They are everything that we want, everything that we need. 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 6. Through whom we are all things and through whom we live. We do everything according to God's, to God's will. We live for Him. Colossians 2 verse 10 mentions here. Uh, Colossians 2 verse 10 says and you are complete in Him. Right? We talked about that earlier on. We are complete in Christ. But we want to be complete though. We have to be in Christ. We have to do what is necessary to be in Christ. Christ fills all in all. We find in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. When we think about what Christ gives us, those many blessings, he truly gives us all that we need. He fills every need that we want. We always need to remember there's a difference between need and want. We go back and look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, and those previous verses that many people talked about, you know, how 
We receive first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Those things are our needs, not our wants, not our desires, the things we truly need in this life. God will provide for us. As we find here also in Ephesians chapter 1, 22 and 23, that He is the one who fills all in all. He gives us all that we need, and Christ is the head of, we want to be honest, of everything. The church, the Christian, the home, everything. He fills all those needs so that we can have the peace and the forgiveness that brings peace. As the Apostle Paul talks about the peace that surpasses understanding, which means the world can understand the kind of peace the Christian has. But as we read and study, we can understand more about it, can't we? The peace that brings a peace that lasts past a few moments. A peace that lasts longer than a good day. The peace that lasts that will give us the peace that causes us to have a good night's rest every night knowing that we have the home of heaven waiting for us because we have obeyed and done what God requires of us. This morning, as you think about these things, we can help you or encourage you in any way. You can come forward now. As you'll be saying, sing the song that's been selected. <laughs>